0: have Sam Smith um, from Privacy International, who's going to be talking to us about, a little bit about open data and privacy, but also how privacy can impact business and some things about what you need to be aware of to run a smooth operation and not to get into trouble. Is that basically it? Well, at least not to get into trouble. for no. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, hi, I'm Sam. By day, I work for Privacy International doing international privacy. Uh, data privacy, UK stuff predominantly at the moment. But I have a long standing interest in open data since before it was called that. I'm gonna mostly talk about counterexamples and talk about organizations. None of this is specific privacy advice. If you're looking for privacy advice on doing something, we need to talk in detail and that's a different talk and you probably don't want me to give it to a room of people. So privacy is best described by principle and example. Or in most cases, counter-example. So let's talk about a big technology company. They wanted to find out how their researchers interacted, which is a useful question to ask. And so with fully informed consent, a proper research project, nothing wrong with it, had researchers just turn Bluetooth on on their phones. And they basically said, OK, what phones can you see and what devices can you see? And we'll use that to work out who you spend time with. And it was very effective until a couple of devices from two researchers could see each other most nights. And that wasn't kind of the interactions the project was looking for. Now, the point of this talk is the bubble that just made a bunch of you laugh, which is what can go wrong when you think about things that should be private in an open way. You can do everything right and still have problems. And this is some some examples of how other people have found that you probably shouldn't do that. Firstly, open data and privacy is not contradictory. Non-personal open data can be an output from data, but it has to be careful. We're not talking about train times. We're not talking about buses. We're not talking about infrastructure. What we're talking here about is solely data that is derived from people and which somebody would think could be about them. The census in the UK has produced open data for years but nobody is particularly con- nobody is hugely concerned about most of the data that it puts out. It can go through a process and come out safely. And of course individuals can choose to put their data out in the open. There are projects where somebody battling cancer has been out- about the medical records. That's their choice. That's not what we're talking about. It's when somebody else does that to you that privacy issues come in. So in this talk privacy is data about individuals, citizens, customers, only going where the data subjects, the person it's about, wants it to go. And in a privacy context, so there's actually no organisation solely working on data privacy. It comes into lots of other things, but that has a bunch of issues that we're just going to ignore in this talk. But as the big tech company found, in an emerging data world, you may find things that nobody has discovered before. That's part of being on the cutting edge. It's probably a good thing that it happens, because that means you're doing stuff nobody has done before. But occasionally, it's what happens next that matters. For research, that's not hugely a problem, especially academic research, what you write as a paper. Um, For commercial entities, they see money there. And when companies see money, sometimes revenue sources from changing rules come in. And you can see what happens when Instagram changes their terms of service. That kind of went badly for them. So what are the principles under which you collect data? And what are you going to change things on? Um, And fundamentally, is your privacy policy written to cover yourselves? Or with respect for customers. And that approach probably depends on whether your customers or users are going to be happy because they trust you or something else. Generally, how you think, operate, and work when you have the time to relax and the time to come to a privacy seminar on a Friday lunchtime explains a lot about what happens when none of those things are true and something's gone wrong. Google does a lot of things that some people are concerned about, but generally, people actually mostly trust them. That's because of all the stuff they normally do, that when they have a problem, that comes back as credit. And in some ways, you guys have done the hard bit. you come to a Friday lunchtime privacy talk. um, The people to possibly be, quote unquote, concerned about is your colleagues who are in the pub. What are they going to do? It's easy to screw up and really hard to fix. Um, we got an email from a large international funder last week uh, asking to look at their anonymized data uh, about the murder of journalists. It's a nice open data project. It was done the same way that's been done for a few years now. It has CSV file of data, everything we'd like them to do. Um, as a good open data project, it was actually relatively well done. And then they sort of said, well, can you have a the purpose point of view? This spreadsheet, this file, possibly, but you've left the names in. I'm not quite sure how anonymous comes into that. Um, they've done most things right, but something has clearly gone um, And um, the journalists involved are now all dead. They probably don't mind. But there are. You can see how easily that could happen. Um, and let's hope that it's not one of the companies that you guys use. I was going to very fast here. So, who's ever posted the wrong thing into a search box? Um, so, one of the organizations that cares the most about their users, their users' privacy, is Wikipedia. We have absolutely no problem with what they do. They briefly released a research data set, which is the things people have entered into a search box. No other information, just this was typed, this was entered into a search box. Um, and the reason I include this story, Wikipedia really do care more than most, is that it's obvious in retrospect what went wrong. In advance, you could have looked at that data, it's such a huge data set and such a small number of. Um, issues that inspection wouldn't fix. it. It needed somebody looking at it from a complete external point of view to say that is possibly an issue. At scale, which is the sort of scale you guys work at a lot of the time, rare events will happen often even though they're still there and they're exceptionally difficult to spot in advance. Privacy is actually hard and it's what you do next that actually matters. And again, the level of standing and perception you have matters. Wikipedia are never going to be that again. So let's talk about O2. Um, who's on O2 in the room? A couple of people. Well, we all actually carry tracking devices with us. Um, and your mobile company knows where you are, how long it takes you to get there, and a bunch of other detail about when and where you go And also, who else is there? Is it popular? Is it quiet? And to the first approximation, O2 plan on selling some version of that through their digital insights, uh, their Telefonic and Digital Insights. And this information that they have is a result of being a mobile phone company. But if you were to do a subject access request for that data, for your data, where was I in these times, they'd refuse it. If the police asked for it, they'd give it them. But you would need a court Now, there are many reasons that this data is useful. And I can see Telefónica's argument that they can make a fair bit of money selling. Where is popular? When at different times? How does that change? And all of the insight that comes from large-scale data mining. However, the way approach they've taken to doing this is to just do it. If you're an O2 customer, you are included. If you, are, um, if you aren't you walked out, you go to another mobile network and hope that they don't start doing it the same way. Now, if you're looking at that sort of data, what stories could you tell to a consumer that tells them why they should be included? If you were to give them a choice, at this point, why would anybody include that there is absolutely no benefit? But what could you do to give some value back to everybody who's contributing their data to that? Are there stories you can tell? Do you go to more popular places? Do you let O2 customers see some variant of the information about that? Um, and empower consumers. There's some statistics I don't think are <coughs> yet public, but the National Office of National Statistics and Research on Opt-outs. If you're asking people questions and you tell them it's mandatory, about thirty percent of people get really unhappy and you know cr- cranky that they have to fill this in. If you give them the ability to not opt, uh, to opt out and just not be involved, and then the opt-out rate for something that is seen as a good thing for the country and as a good citizen, the opt-out rate is about 2%, which is less than the margin of error of most surveys. So giving people the chance to opt out is not actually dangerous if what you're doing is in their interest. And if it isn't in their interest, what are you doing? how do you explain what it is you're doing, both around open data and other forms of data as well? Can yet informed consent generally, the answer is yes, we all have very nice digital tools in our laps, in our pockets. How can you use those to tell better stories? Informed consent for most sharing is necessary. That lets people choose, and if you give people a choice, show them some benefit, people will tend to be included in things. Facebook does a whole range of things that people are unhappy about, but people are still disproportionately thinking they get benefit more benefit than the, co- the cost. Um, and at some point that may change, but Even for all the things that Facebook do that get them bad press, people still think they're worthwhile. Mm. Phil and Terry's talk here a couple of weeks ago about the National Pupil Database is an example of what you do when you do not, what happens when you do none of those things. If you see children simply as rows in a database, not as human beings, it may make your job a lot easier but it has real-world effects and those tend to not be in your favour. And the same goes for customers. Some of those event, events may be catastrophic. How much do you trust the bureaucracy in the large organisations you use? You guys are all here, you came for a privacy talk on at lunchtime. What about the people who didn't? So how do we avoid that sort of problem? Uh, They mixed it from somewhere else, but that's where we got to talk about from. So the best way of doing it is peer review. Get other people to look at what it is you're proposing and listen to what they say. It lets you look at things from a different perspective. And care about people, care about individuals. Again, the NPD seminar from a couple of weeks ago. Most privacy problems come from cock-ups, not conspiracy. And they only happened because most people didn't in, people who looked at it from a different perspective didn't get a chance to say something before it was a little too late. And those different perspectives are important. If you don't ask and you don't want to know, in an open world, secrets have a habit of getting out. People will find out how their data is used. Expecting them not to find out in a world of Twitter is probably going to end badly. And if it doesn't end badly for the person who made the decision because they get to move on in six months, if you're in, if that, at some point, enough job changes mean that you're going to lose in that um, sort of gamble. Wikipedia pulled their files incredibly quickly. It was a couple of hours and they were down. Um Many eyes make that sort of problem short um, and having that conversation in the open gets you a very different perspective than if it 's hidden away f- hidden away from the street. It takes some care and consideration, but ODI is doing a huge number of important things about actually having good conversations about data and going, Oh you're doing that, you may want to talk to somebody who's already done something similar and Hearing from somebody who does not have any particular incentive either way, but going, you may want to look at that slightly differently. Because when everybody who's got some data and works on it looks at it in a particular way, National People Database, the people who look after it, they are um, fine civil servants, but they look at their data in a particular way. They look at it and see. A database, they don't look at it and see a rather large number of school children linked from nursery to university. And so how you look at something changes what you will do with it. And you may think something is fine, but other people may think that something is very slightly different. And treat the people about whom you hold data as important. If you're dealing with data on people, what, would, what do you think they'd say if they saw what you were doing with it? Most of the time, pe- if you can explain it, people will be happy. It's when the, you know, we, we should hide that because they because we can't explain it or We think people will be unhappy. That tends to be where things come from. Look at the threats. Not how you look at it, but how somebody sees two things adjacently. And get external advice. ODI has a number of programs for that sort of conversation. Those are vital. And privacy problems tend to come when people think that you're trying to screw them over in some way. Large organizations that haven't quite realized how modern communications work still think you can get away with not thinking of people as people, especially if you don't, if the organization doesn't internally see them like that. It used to work, but the world has moved on, and now the internet turns out to care about rather random things. And additionally, this isn't the old world of requiring paper forms to opt into things digital by default shows you can do a huge number of better things. Choices can be two way. You can change your mind. And full and consent the data based on individuals is now pretty easy. People say yes. You can use visualisations, storytelling and discussion to show people benefit. And not all data derived from personal data is still personal data. Um, The prescribing analytics um, is based on the prescriptions data for the UK, just a GP and a prescription. You don't know who it was or any detail. The most personal information you can find out is that there is either A, someone in your practice who has the same or part of the same prescription as you, or B, that there isn't anybody else. And that is in no way particularly useful information. And so you can derive from, in this case, medical treatment, perfectly safe open data. Privacy protections around data are one of those topics generally thought of as too tight until suddenly they're seen as nowhere near near tight enough. Sending CDs via internal mail was a good idea for the tax authorities until suddenly it wasn't. And whether your organization gets used as a counterexample in a future version of this talk is mostly up to the decisions made by people who can see what the data can do now and make decisions on that basis. Depending on your organization, depending on your data, depends on how those are. ODI is an incredibly good and powerful organization in that respect. And I do hope that wherever it is that you guys are from, nothing is going to bite you shortly. When it does, feel free to get in touch about what you possibly should have done or possibly how to move forward with with open data, but maintaining privacy. Thank you.